We are in the midst of our series called Multiplication Tables, where we're talking about what does it mean to be in fellowship with one another and in community with God. In this series, we've been contrasting the tables of the world with the table fellowship that is formed and forged by Jesus himself, and that at table with Jesus, the kind of community that we all hunger and desire, there are these attributes. There's trust, there's accountability, there's belonging, there's laughter, and there's encouragement. Now, I know immediately, if we were to play that game, which of these is not like the other, you would kind of say laughter. Seriously? Laughter is one of the major attributes of being at table with Jesus? Well, we're going to look at a scripture later today. Usually, we look at a scripture early in the sermon. But the reason that we're pushing the scripture out till later in the message is that whether you know it or not, all of us bring a certain set of assumptions when we read scripture that I know that if we read the scripture now, you're going to have a certain set of ideas that you already bring to that text before we read it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do some theological work to kind of make sure we're seeing things from a godly point of view, and then we'll hopefully be able to understand what this text is saying to us. So today we're beginning with a theological question. Does God have a sense of humor? And in order to start to answer this question, we're going to look to the great philosopher Ellen DeGeneres in a 1980s video of her being one of her first ever stand-up comedy routines on The Johnny Carson Show. Because to me, life is very precious. It's very special. We're here for such a short time that everything on this earth should have a reason, should have a beneficial purpose. And I feel like everything does, except for fleas. Please do nothing at all beneficial. I always thought at times like this when we can't figure it out for ourselves, wouldn't it be great if we could just pick up the phone and call up God and ask him these things? Just pick up the phone and call up God. Yeah, hi God, this is Ellen. (laughs) Ellen. Degenerous. Degenerous. (laughs) What's so funny? (laughs) No, I never thought of that. It does sound like that, doesn't it? Uh I get it. Listen, if you weren't a bit... Sure, hold on. Somebody's at the gate. <laughs> Onward, Christian soldiers. Mar- yeah, no, just sing along to your tape. <laughs> it's, it's not a tape. They're good. <laughs> they're great. Yeah. Listen, there are certain things on this earth I just don't understand why they're here. No, not Charo. <laughs> no. But there are certain things, that, like uh, insects. Uh, no, bees are great. The honey, that was clever. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking more about fleas. They seem to have no benefit. No, I didn't realize how many people were employed by the flea collar industry. Not, not to mention sprays. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Of course you are. <laughs> of course you are. Being who you are. Yeah. Oh, you got a little cold. God bless you. Or bless yourself. <laughs> bless yourself. <laughs> oh, I'm still doing that comedy. You got a joke for me. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Uh-huh. Now, I got time. Of course, you would know that more than me, huh? <laughs> That was a joke. Go ahead. Who's there? God who? 
Godzilla. <laughs> oh, incredibly funny, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and another one, sure. Uh, who's there? God who? Got a dime. <laughs> oh! <laughs> no, I don't have time for another one. No. Uh, yeah, I just remembered an appointment I have to get to, so I gotta go. How about that? God who? Gotta go? Cute? Stupid. All righty. It was good talking to you, too. And I'll see... I'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. Is that what your prayer life is like? When you bow your head and you pray, is that what the conversation is like? Is there laughter? Is it filled with joy? Is there this friendly banter back and forth? Or maybe when you close your eyes to pray, I'm going to put an image up here on the screen. Is this the image that comes to your mind when you're praying to Jesus? This Jesus with his head cocked back, with him almost holding his abdomen. You can't see maybe the detail, but that there's almost tears streaming down your face. There's a scholar by the name of Kenneth Bailey who did original research in some of the Bedouin or kind of wandering tribes in Israel. And what he did was because these tribes were isolated from technology, they are as close culturally to the groupings and the way of life of maybe what life was like during the lifetime of Jesus. And so Kenneth Bailey took the stories and the teachings of Jesus and he would gather them around and he would read the stories in their language out loud. He was surprised to find out that as he would read the stories, stories like the prodigal son and the good Samaritan, that people actually laughed as he read them. And so he started to form a scholarly opinion in all of these different groups. And that scholarly opinion is this, Jesus was funny. That Jesus isn't just the cosmic Christ, that apparently he's the comic Christ. And that apparently, if you look at his teaching with fresh eyes, you'll discover a whole different dimension of God and of Jesus. Think about his teaching and what he said. Think about how Jesus said, did you ever consider the one who was trying to do like, you know, surgery on someone else's eye all the time? They've got a big tree branch sticking out of their own. Or did you hear about the one of the camel trying to limbo his way through the eye of a needle? Or did you hear about the guy who tried to build his dream house on a foundation of sand at the beach? Or did you hear about the woman who lit a lamp just to put it under a bushel basket so that nobody else could see it? Or have you ever heard of the one where this kid who's hungry goes to his father and he says, Dad, can I have some bread? And instead he hands him a stone. Over and over again, what we discover is that the Bible, particularly the teachings of Jesus, they're drenched in gotcha, surprise, humor, and sarcasm. Jesus, in fact, was accused during his lifetime of being a glutton and a drunkard. He was not these things, but he was so high-spirited and he was so light-hearted that he kind of fit the bill. Even consider for a moment that children loved to spend time with Jesus. Now, I don't know if this has been your experience with children, but I think children have an unbelievable radar and detector for joy. Have you ever met a child who wants to spend time with an adult who has the facial disposition of someone who just sucked on a lemon? No, children don't want to spend time with us in those moments, and yet children flocked to Jesus. The humor in the Old Testament is actually even more pronounced. Did you know that there's a talking donkey in the Old Testament? 
And also in the Old Testament, you've got a prophet who's swallowed up by a whale because he was going in the wrong direction. You've got a woman on Medicare who gives birth for the first time. You've got other stories like Gideon, who's a guy in the military, and yet when he gets a military-grade haircut, he loses his strength. There's stories after story after story in the Old Testament. There's Jacob, who's a mama's boy who tricks his brother out of a birthright, and then his father-in-law, Laban, tricks him into marrying the wrong woman. Ha! Talk about funny. One of the things that we need to come to terms with is that we have this tendency to read the Bible with stained glass perspective, and because of that, we miss the gospel and we misrepresent God. I love how Max Lucado puts it. He puts it this way. What do I think he was doing, meaning what God was doing when he stretched the neck of the giraffe, an exercise in engineering? What do I think he had in mind when he told the ostrich where to put his head? Spelunking? What do I think he was doing when he designed the mating call of an ape or the eight legs of an octopus? What do I envision on his face when he saw Adam's first glance at Eve, a yawn? Hardly. As my vision improves and I'm able to read without my stained glass, I'm seeing a sense of humor is perhaps the only way God has put up with us for so long. God's put up with us for a long, long time. And it's not only his patience, it's not only his persistence, but also his sense of humor that enables him to do so. I believe it's a divine attribute. Just as much as God is holy and loving and merciful and kind, we also know that the source of our joy is God himself and that God is joy-filled. Now, part of the reason that we have a hard time believing kind of this dimension of God or praying with God in that way or seeing Jesus with his head cocked back laughing is, is that for us today, humor is kind of one-dimensional. We tend to think of humor as only there to entertain or amuse or to help us to relax. Cultural anthropologists talk a great deal about what is known as folk humor, Folk humor was being ridiculous for a reason. Folk humor was having a very poignant point in mind while you're being funny at the same time. Because something can be true and something can be hilarious all in the same moment, right? Let me see if I can illustrate this. Several years ago, a group of people that I was a part of went to the Holy Land, and we were visiting the Church of the Nativity. So we crossed the border from Israel into Palestine. We went to Bethlehem. And just like with most tour groups, every once in a while, you're going to run into a long line. This was worse than Disney World. And so there was a line in this church building that snaked all the way back and forth, and we were going to have to wait a couple of hours to not just be in the beauty of this sanctuary, but to work our way downstairs to where there's a cave, where there's the traditional site, where they believe that this is the place where Jesus is born. And so we're having to wait patiently as we wait in this line, and our tour guide is giving us all kinds of facts and tidbits about the church and nativity, about the art, the history, the culture of the time. And one of the things that she pointed out for us is that many of the portrayals of Mary in Bethlehem, in art, are actually different from Mary that you would see in other art, particularly the Mary of Jerusalem. That the Mary of Bethlehem, as you can see on the screen here, is actually got a little smile on her face. 
that Bethlehem was the place of joy. It was the place where Jesus was born, and so Mary is happy. And yet when Mary is portrayed in Jerusalem, she's obviously sad because this is the play, place where Jesus had died. And so we're hearing here about the joy of Mary. We're trying to wait patiently as we get ready to go downstairs. And all the time while we are snaking in our line and trying to learn about what's going on in the church nativity, there was a very stern robed priest walking up and down the aisles of people. And with a very dour look on his face, if anybody talked, he would shh which is universal in every language where it's Arabic, Hebrew, English, it doesn't matter, that means be quiet. And so he was shushing. And if people were not shushing fast enough, he would take his huge, large hands and he would clap them together and point at you and say, shh. And something in me just started to snap. I turned to my wife and said, not so quietly, hey, why is Mary the only one that gets to have fun in the church in the nativity? I wanted to interrupt this guy. I wanted to confront him to say, hey, I'm a fellow clergy person like you, and unlike you, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That there are scriptures out there that talk about shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. That yes, there are moments to be reverent, but there are also times to celebrate. And I got news for you, pal. In response to the birth of Christ, the angels sang and clapped their hands. Get over it. Of course, I did not say any of that except for the part to my wife because I wanted to make it out of Palestine alive. I didn't figure that that was the right, you know, altercation to get in. I don't think that that's what the headlines need anymore. But this is kind of our problem in the church, right? People's perception of us, probably an accurate one. When you think of church, is it the most joy-filled place that you know? When you think of the community of God's people, are they the people who are most prone to celebrate? And I got news for you, this is not just a PR problem, it is a character flaw. It's that we are not representing God very well, and because of this, we are missing out on the gospel because we don't view God accurately. We're not sure he has a sense of humor. G.K. Chesterton puts it best. He says, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. And maybe some of us need to lighten up a little bit in our relationship with God. I think we're ready now to look at the text and hopefully not with stained glass eyes, but also with the correct vision of being able to see joy as one of God's primary qualifications. And so one of the things that I'd like for you to notice in Matthew chapter 15 is that Jesus leaves here in verse 21. He leaves the Sea of Galilee and goes the furthest distance that he goes other than going to the city of Jerusalem. It's over 30 miles. It's an over a two-day walk in either direction. And it says this in verse 21, leaving that place, that is the Sea of Galilee, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. The other thing that you need to know about Tyre and Sidon is that Tyre and Sidon were far away, not just geographically, but philosophically and theologically and politically from the people of Israel. 
This is in modern day Lebanon. And what you need to realize is that this is not Jesus going on a short weekend trip to North Carolina. This is more akin to Jesus going on a weekend trip to North Korea. He is entering into the heart of enemy territory, a dangerous place. Next verse, verse 22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Jesus crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. In verse, in this verse, if you have your own Bible, I want you to circle the word Canaanite because this is the only time that that word appears in the entire New Testament. Now think about this for a minute. The Canaanites were the oldest original enemy of God's people. They were the people that inhabited the promised land. They were the people that they were going to have to come in to fight in order to be able to live out the promise of being in the promised land. And if you recall, in that moment when they crossed the River Jordan and they come into the promised land to inhabit what God had entrusted to them, they had a particular leader. Do you know who that leader was in the Old Testament? Non-rhetorical question, two people know it's Joshua. Guess what Jesus' name is in Hebrew? Joshua. And so here is Jesus, the new Joshua, about to invade the Canaanites one more time. But in this invasion, he's not coming to kill. He's coming to heal. The disciples don't see it this way. And in verse 23, they try to send this woman away to shush her and to move her on. And in verse 24, Jesus, breaking with convention that rabbis were definitely not supposed to mix with people of other cultures, certainly was not supposed to be engaging with this woman, he answers her request and says, hey, I was sent, in verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, does this sound like Jesus to you? Jesus, can you imagine Jesus saying, you know what, I have a very narrow target audience, how does this jive with, for God so whole loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son? This doesn't sound like Jesus here. In verse 26, it even sounds less like Jesus. He replies to her as the banter continues, it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Now Jesus is calling this woman a dog. This is even worse. Unless you understand in the original language, that term for dog is a very particular term that I feel like I need to explain to you. When we moved uh, almost eight years ago to Southern California from Texas, you need to know that in California, they have a very different cultural understanding of their dogs than we do in Texas. The first difference is in the size of the dogs because the dogs in California are not dog-sized, they are more rodent-sized. <laughs> and in California, you can take your dog to the mall, but you can't take your dog to any state park. Figure that out. In Texas, it's the opposite. So our family's at the mall uh, this one time, and it's one of the first times we've ever been to the mall in California. It's right after we've moved there, and then there's this baby, this woman with this baby stroller, and you kind of peek to look, and you're like, oh, what a cute, what a cute dog. In the stroller, there was not a baby, but a tiny little dog. 
And this stroller was located next to a table, and the woman was sitting at the table, and she was sitting right outside of Pinkberry Premium Frozen Yogurt. And she was eating her yogurt, and she was feeding her dog with the same spoon, back and forth, back and forth. People get shot in Texas for that kind of behavior. <laughs> This is not how you treat dogs. But actually, This is about the kind of term of endearment for a little house dog that Jesus refers to her with regards to being a dog. It's a playful term. It's not a derogatory one. And so the reason that we continue to misunderstand this passage is that we forget in between the banter back and forth, a very serious situation is infused with a great amount of joy. And if we could put the laugh tracks back in, then we would understand this passage. Because you can almost hear her laughing and saying, yes, it is, Lord. Verse 27, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. She gets it. And here's quite possibly the greatest point of humor of all in this story. Here is Jesus as far away as he's ever going to go. Here's Jesus with the old sworn enemy, the Canaanites. Here's Jesus, not in Israel, not amongst his own faithful And yet she recognizes Jesus for who he is before the disciples or anybody else understands him. Pulls the rug right out from underneath him. She got the joke. Perhaps for you and me, what we need to discover is this. I love how Reinhold Niebuhr puts it. Humor is the prelude to faith, and laughter is the beginning of prayer. If your prayer life feels a little dry, maybe you need to take a little cue from Ellen. Maybe you need to realize that joy was God's invention, and that there's a strong connection between humor and humility. And without it, we will miss out on the gospel and we will misrepresent the very character of God. One of the things that I'm positive of is that the reason that our table fellowships don't have some of the same potency that table fellowship with Jesus did is that we take ourselves way too seriously. And maybe in our prayers, we need not just faithfulness, but we need a little levity to not take ourselves so seriously that we miss out on what God's doing. I got my start in ministry by working in student ministries and um, would go to camps over the course of the summer and would often serve as the recreation director for junior high and high school camps. And uh, so we're going to play a couple of games this morning. No, we're not really not going to do that. 
And so we would do these crazy dances. We would do these very silly songs. We would do skits, videos, all kinds of silly stuff. And then at the end of our section, you know, because our job was basically to wake up 500 junior high students or 1,000 high school students, was that we were to pray and then hand things over to the worship leaders for them to be able to sing. And my compatriot was leading the prayer after we had finished all the games this one time. He's like, all right, everybody, let's pray. And he bows his head and he offers this kind of prayer. And when he gets to the end of it, instead of saying, in Christ's name, we pray, amen, he accidentally said, and in Christ's name, we play, amen. And we just started to laugh. Because you know what? We need to learn not just to pray in Christ's name, but to play in it. We need to learn that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We need to discover that for us to be at Jesus' table is as ridiculous as a lapdog in a stroller is of eating premium frozen yogurt. We don't deserve to be there. That the nature of the gospel is folk humor. It is ridiculous for a reason. It is true, but it is also poignant all at the same time. And if we are so serious, it's probably an indication of our lack of humility and we're misunderstanding who God is. And so at your tables, relax a little bit, laugh, enjoy one another. And when we do so, we will discover that God is uniquely present, not just when we pray, but also when we play in his name. And so let's pray together. Our loving God and Father, we're so grateful, so grateful for the journey of faith and for the way that you've touched each of our lives. And we ask today that you will forgive us for having such a stained glass portrayal of who you are that we've forgotten how to read the Bible. We've forgotten that joy was your idea and that you have a sense of humor. And so, God, I pray that you will bring a natural smile to our face that would attract children and people of all ages to be able to see the love that you have in our hearts. Thank you for putting up with us for so long. Disarm us with the truth and help us not to miss the gospel and to misrepresent you. Teach us not to kind of take ourselves so seriously, God, that we forget the ridiculous nature of your great love for us that we don't deserve. And teach us to play and to pray in your great name. And all of God's people said,